0: Greetings Alpha Seekers, Uh, it's the Sunday edition, you know what that means, regular listeners. uh, We go through the uh, Sunday Tribune, which I read, so you don't have to. Uh, Start with the business section. There's an article about, uh, the headline is, Racing to Become the Tesla of Trucks and Vans. And it talks about a number of publicly traded companies that are in this business, and obviously there's a big upside to that. You know, vans are here to stay because I think that bricks-and-mortar retail is on the downswing. Uh, so there's a company called Pritchard Commercial, a company called Workhorse Group. Um, you can read the article uh, on the Tribune online if you so desire. I honestly have no idea how to trade these things. So, it's not something I'm going to be focusing on, but um, you know, they could go up, they could go down, who knows? I don't get the market, but uh, in that regard at all, I, that's not a place where I would put any money or even my mouth. So, just bring it to your attention without necessarily any recommendation, one way or the other. So, not much in the trip today, so this will be a little bit of a shorty um you can hear me actually turning the pages. This is cinema or podcast verite as it were yeah, I got through i i gotta i gotta give a tip of the tip of the Nugent venture's hat here to a twenty one year old woman Named Jessica Short, she robbed four 7-Elevens in one hour. Now that, you know, it's got to be a Guinness Book of World Record there. You know, and they are convenience stores. So, you know, one of the reasons people go is you don't have to wait in line or anything. So, you know, maybe that's a 7-Eleven ad that, hey, you know, you can get in and out of four of our stores in an hour. We would prefer, if you pay rather than actually taking money from us. But, you know, it just goes to show you, you can get in and out real quick. So, she's, she's going to be in jail for, I would presume, some period of time. But there is a big uh, controversy about the uh, elimination of cash bail. or I think, actually, it's not elimination, but... It's like based on your ability to pay. Cause if you're broke, you know, a hundred bucks is a lot of money. If you're if you're uh Elon Musk, it's nothing. So there's some uh, jurisdictions, countries where they actually assess speeding ticket and such fines based on your income. So if you were a real high earner, you might end up paying like ten thousand dollars for a speeding ticket, so it would hurt you. Just as much as it would hurt a a minimum wage earner to pay $100, which is, you know, interesting. Kind of takes all the fun out of being rich, but so be it. And there's logic to that, so we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, we're not really enforcing laws in Chicago anyway anymore, so... Um, Okay, so there's a big article about the cluster, as we used to say, that is the uh, vaccine distribution uh, program. And there's a lot of things going on here. Obviously, the fundamental thing is there's too many people and not enough vaccine, but they've also tried to do this more or less logically, and start with the healthcare workers, you know, for force protection, which is reminiscent of the masking thing. Because initially, you know, the authorities, the the science folks, were saying, oh, you don't need to wear a mask. Well, they were wrong. And, you know, if they had come out right away and said that, and if the, the administration had bought into it, it's two big ifs. Um, then we might not be looking at 400,000 dead. We might be looking at 100,000 or something. But be that as it may. Now, we part of the reason for that was they wanted to make sure they got the the uh, healthcare professionals the masks first. It was force protection, which I get. But that's part of the reason why they didn't push it out to the public because, again, you had limited supply initially. Now you can get all the masks you want. Kudos to the private sector. But um, now, as we go through that same process, they've reserved the vaccine for the healthcare uh, workers, and that's broadly defined. So, everybody, right down to the uh, support staff, you know, the janitors and the cafeteria workers. And obviously, that's necessary because they're in close contact. But a lot of them aren't taking it. So, I quote now from the Tribune article, Dr. Allison arwade I guess is how you pronounce that, Chicago Pub- Chicago Department of Public Health Commissioner, was surprised by the number of inpatient health care workers who haven't wanted to get the vaccine. That hesitancy was more prevalent among support staff and black and Latino employees. Uh, so the trouble is that... Uh, you know, you get a allocation, and then you open the bottle, and if you don't have enough people, you got to use it or lose it. It's like milk; it spoils. So, there is a rumor that, or I heard, I read actually, that some of the hospitals are going to make that available to people like me who are old and sick. And I, again, asked my uh, ex concierge medicine doctor if he could score some for me so we'll see what happens but uh you know a lot of people are afraid of this because the tuskegee experiment or now you're starting to see stories about deaths like in norway amongst the very old you know which i find as older than me like 85 uh so this is a problem that is not necessarily one that one can blame Trump on. Uh so it's gonna be a challenge even under the new dawn of the Biden era. Some healthcare workers at area health systems have held off on getting vaccinated because they already had COVID nineteen. The CDC recommends that people who've already had COVID nineteen get vaccinated, saying it's unknown how long a person is immune from the illness after getting sick. But, you know, I think people who've had it and survived it ought to be pushed into a phase X because they've got immunity for a certain period of time, it is arguable. So, anyway. Let's see what else here. So Biden has a goal of 100 million people in 100 days. I think that is very ambitious. Uh, and it's uh, it talks about the, you know, when you start to do this with local governments, some hospitals have to work with four or five different health departments, and it's a mess. So state and local leaders hope to see the numbers grow as Illinois opens vaccinations to 3.2 million seniors and essential workers in coming days. So get yourself a job at 7-Eleven, and I think you'll be essential, but you might get robbed. So that's the trouble there. But, you know, like my mom used to say, if you're born to be hung, you'll never be shot. So fate is the hunter. So starting January 25th, there's going to be some National Guard sites. There's going to be Walgreens, CVS, Jewel Osco pharmacies. And a number of hospital systems will use their medical records to reach out to people. I'm hoping that mine will be one of them. Uh, so Lightfoot, our mayor here, said that she expected the city to have a total of six mass vaccination sites up and running within days, that could eventually, eventually, which is not a good word when you're a senior, uh, serve seniors. Now, then there's another one here, you know, and it, it, the editors of these papers must just be telling their reporters to find a racial angle on this. Because the article is about more on the north side and lakefront get immunized. Well, they're targeting healthcare workers. So guess what? That's where Northwestern is. That's where U of C is. You know, so a lot of hospitals are near the lake. So it's like, duh. And they don't mention that until, you know, they've got like six subheads. They mention that in subhead four. Uh, but, you know, the first angle is the rich people and race, you know, and that. It's pretty obvious that they've only been able to give it to healthcare workers. So the healthcare workers are concentrated in the hospitals, right? Yeah, so. so now here's Cass about the New Day or same old, uh, same old for Illinois taxpayers. And the focus of the article is that this uh, Chris Welch is a Madigan guy. And I always thought, so Madigan is still chair of the party. And so now he's got, you know, a a sort of a beard, as we used to say. So he can stay in the shadows where he likes it. And yet the reformers can claim victory. So what Cass is looking at is more federal spending, more local taxes, more progressive policy, more control of schools by the teachers' union. I don't know how you could get much more and social justice warriors flexing their muscles. Uh, out of this $1.9 trillion COVID relief package, 350 for states, and that boils down to $13 billion for Illinois. It seems to me we should get more. We should get about 10% of it. Uh, but 13, evidently. But probably more to come. And that's what the Illinois politicians expected out of the victory. So honestly, you know, and there are those who say that if you feed the beast, you're not going to inflict the pain that will change it, force it to change. I don't buy that. I don't think it will change. I think it will die. It does not know how to adapt. There was an old book, Who Moved My Cheese? And some mice just die, and other mice go find the new cheese. So this is a mouse that will die. So I think it's kind of inevitable that you're going to see federal bailouts, and I'm all for it. I mean, if it's, bet- if it's either me or Uncle Sam, and Uncle Sam gets to print money and I don't, fine. I mean, the economics of Illinois are unsustainable under any reasonable tax and economic structure. So if you're going to prop it up, it's going to have to be funny money. So Cass says, it's much easier to treat the state like a dying central air conditioning unit, squirt in some free end, and hope for the best. And then, uh, of course, the Democrats will redraw the map, and we're going to lose at least one congressional Senate, and guess who that's going to be? That's going to be Kinzinger, which is why he's been beating up on Trump so he can run for governor. Makes sense. Uh, let see. But uh, one thing about Chris Welch is his first name is actually Emmanuel. Um, he will be more easily pressured, according to Cast, by the progressive wing of the party than Madigan was, the public worker unions. And uh, so that's all going to be negative for the finances of the state. But you know the federal bailout, I think, is what these states have always been planning it in. It's the only way out if there is a way out. then there's a good article here by jo- Jonah Goldberg, who I believe is a libertarian, and he talks about the First Amendment versus the uh parlor uh deep or whatever you want to call it by. Amazon Web Services. In other words, parlor's a conservative uh, alternative. It's like kind of like not like Fox News. It's it's kind of even more conservative than that. I mean, they do try to. Mo- it's like uh, social media for you know conservatives and right wing conservatives. So. Amazon Web Services kicked them off their hosting platform. If you got a website, you need some place to host it, and it's not going to be AWS. So I don't know where these guys are going to go, but and they're suing Amazon. So Goldberg is a libertarian, and he's a First Amendment libertarian, and of course the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or the press. And the exception to that worked out in the courts and by statute is that you can't incite violence but the violence needs to be incited at a specific individual imminent lawless action which which is likely to incite or produce such action an example he uses is we need to shoot all left handed people uh, versus look that guy is writing with his left hand shoot him now So, it's a radically libertarian approach to expression. Now, what I can see in this new era, and I do think it's a new era at the federal level, certainly, the UK has a robust tradition of free speech, but not nearly as robust as ours, you know, because you're a British subject, you're not a British citizen. But under the British Human Rights Act of 1998, everyone has the right to freedom of expression, but the law also says that such freedom may be subject to formalities, conditions, restrictions, or penalties as are prescribed by the law and are necessary in a democratic society. So that gives them a lot of room to regulate speech. And, you know, they've had a history of terrorism from our our Irish... uh, Relatives, so now they've had Islamic all that, but when you're a when you're a monarchy, which they are uh, toleration of dissent isn't that usually uh, a matter of principle, so now it is a standard and correct talking point he says among conservatives of the social variety that the founders believed our system could only work with the virtuous people. And he cites a few quotes, one by Washington. Virtue or morality is a necessary spring of popular government. Franklin, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. Madison, to suppose that any form of government will secure liberty or happiness without any virtue in the people is a chimerical idea. And Henry Ward Beecher, the 19th century minister, said there is no liberty to men who know not how to govern themselves. And he argues that this principle has more bearing on free speech than many realize he says you may not you may have the right to shout racial epithets or call for violence, but that doesn't mean you should. Private institutions and some public ones can, can and should discourage such behavior, and that falls under the churches and you know, and some of our institutions have gotten themselves a bad name. Uh, churches, schools, the Boy Scouts, book clubs. Uh, those are some of the institutions he mentions. I don't know, book clubs qualify. The way we encourage good character is by letting non-governmental institutions please bad behavior. So there's something called civil society or polite society, and obviously those things have changed over the years and as they always do. So Amazon cited a few examples of why they shut parlor down. And here's one poster, one parliamentarian, if you will, who says, we are going to fight in a civil war on January 20th. Form militias now and acquire targets. Shoot the police to protect these profanity senators right in the head and then make the senator grubble a bit before capping them. White people need to ignite their racial identity and rain down suffering and death like a hurricane upon Zionists. So this is... (laughs) This dude, I presume it's a dude, uh, is really way, way over the line, right? So we're not going to... AWS says terms of service say you can't host speech that violate the rights of others or may be harmful to others well um, I would say that that falls into that category Uh, and it's it's a private uh, private company right it's not the government saying you can't say that it's the Amazon saying we aren't going to we aren't going to host that. The The analogy is if a diner can say no shirt, no shoes, no service, Amazon can say no calls for civil war or genocide. So there it is. Now, if you play that out, you know, you get into some sticky wickets. Bad cases that make bad law. Like if uh, if I believe, you know, if I'm a cake baker, and a gay couple wants me to make a cake, and it violates my own principles. Can I turn them down? Well, you're a private company, right? You would think that you could, even though if i'm selling if I'm selling wedding cakes, I don't care what you want on the cake, but um well, you know there are there are sticky wickets like that and a lot of that becomes a civil rights thing too. So it's not quite as easy as he portrays it, but that is a pretty clear case. And then there's a Wall Street Journal editorial board piece about Illinois' population loss, and they talk about our property tax which is about two and a half times more than California's, which is a lot. And they note that the states with the fastest growing populations tend to have right-to-work laws which give workers a choice of whether to join a union. And then they note that many Republicans worry that migrants from high-tax states will import their liberal politics to conservative states, which is exactly what's happening. Uh, And then they say, but then U.S. immigrants who fled socialism are also among the staunchest supporters of free markets, and they are. I got a guy working for me who comes from Yugoslavia, and boy, he hates socialism. But he also hated Trump, you know. So something of a conflict I suppose so that's uh, notable I wonder if as we move down the blue road we're going to get to a point where those right to work laws are overturned or the federal government finds some way to prohibit that and makes it a union country But we'll see what happens there. I think at best, you know, you're going to have certain states, blue red states, that they leave them alone. But if it starts to hurt the blue states, which it will, who knows? I mean, this mandatory $15 minimum wage nationwide is, in effect, uh, one way to hit the right-to-work states, you know, wages are a big part of that. Not all of it, though. So, anyway. There's a letter to the editor from one Malka Z. Simkovich, who's director of Catholic Jewish Studies at the Catholic Theological Union. And she makes the point uh, that the rioters... There was a Darlene... Glanton and I don't read her because I don't read the trip during the week very much. But she pitched, she cast this in terms in racial terms, this riot thing in D.C. The name of her column, the headline of her column, was "White Privilege and the American Cast System," was on display during the insurrection, and uh, you know the the thought was that the cops there were easier on the protesters because of their their race well it was an inside job folks so that's why you didn't have the militarization that you've got now and you can see now the government has realized exactly what's up here and man it's like an armed fort but and it's still under trump by the way so but she points out that there was a lot of anti-semitism uh, on exhibit so she says, those who interpret our current social crisis through the lens of white people's oppression of black people risk ignoring an extremely dangerous form of hatred that all those who have devoted their lives to social justice should actively condemn, and by that she means anti-Semitism. So you know, one of the one of the things you're just going to have to accept here is that the the stereotype of people who are considered to be not of color is that we're all one big happy white family. And that is not true. I mean, Jews, for example, are now considered white, but they weren't always, really. So, you know, there's still a lot of, I mean, white people have been killing other white people for as long as the history of white people's been recorded, you know. Bosnians, Serbians, Catholics, Protestants. So, it's not one big happy family. And uh, that that is no longer something that fits the narrative. So, it's no longer going to be discussed in polite society. But, it's still true. So, Not as much as it used to be, I'd have to say, but, you know, because there's been a lot of a melting pot factor there, and there hasn't been so much, and certainly between black and white, you know, for obvious historical reasons. So, Anyway, uh, that is about it for today. That's a half an hour. I didn't expect to have that much material. Oh, wait, we're not done, because I wanted to take a quick review of the exciting Nugent Ventures LinkedIn page. So let's see what we put out there. Nugent Ventures, there we go. Up to 95 followers, so tell your friends. If each of my listeners tells one of their friends, we can get the 96. No, I'm kidding, we can get over 100. So not everybody listens to every episode, I get it. So, uh, seven hours ago, I posted the idea that the underlying economy is in in decent shape jibes bullishly with what's shaping to be a fiscal Goldilocks scenario, a divided government that's capable of pushing through additional emergency fiscal support with funny money, aka modern monetary theory, while being unable to advance tax policy seen as inhibiting growth in the corporate sector. Now, I think they will rapidly, not maybe right away, but certainly within the first two years, uh, change the way the Senate operates so that it's a simple majority to raise taxes. But we'll see what happens. If that doesn't happen, then what I just said may hold true, which is kind of okay with me, and that's from Yahoo Finance. 17 hours ago, I said I posted an article from Bloomberg that says stocks aren't scared of the Democrats' Washington sweep, at least not yet. And that's consistent with the previous post. 19 hours ago, I posted a question. I usually don't ask people questions, I usually try to pretend I know the answer. But um, in this case, there's a study that that was posted on a thing called Newsbreak. And I'm not sure exactly what Newsbreak is. I think it's some Microsoft thing. I don't know. But I get these articles, and it's got a little screwy logo. I don't remember signing up for it, but it pushes a ton of content to me on my push notifications. So they talk about a new COVID drug that is successful in the lab. And I read the article several times, and my reading comprehension isn't what it used to be, nor is my eyesight, but I could not find the name of the drug. But it was a study done at Rush, and it has something to do with uh, cytokine inhibition. You may have heard of the cytokine storm, which sounds like a science fiction movie, but actually it's like an overreaction of the immune system where You know, uh, COVID, to some extent, from what I understand, is more or less an autoimmune disease. You basically, your immune system overreacts and kills you, which is never good. Uh, What a way to go. How ironic. But, uh, and there's a political metaphor there. But anyway, uh, if anybody can figure out the name of this drug, apparently the research was done at Rush here in Chicago, along with other... Uh, research locations. So I'd like to know what the name of the drug is and even more the name of the company that makes the drug and if it's publicly traded. So if anybody can figure that out, let me know. Uh, You can message me on LinkedIn or you can call me at 708-334-8414 or uh, you can text me at that same number. Okay, I'm going to, I think I covered all this other stuff yesterday. So, that's it. I mean, say what you want about us. You know, we have very good frequency. We're on almost every day. So, uh, and we will continue to do that as long as somebody listens. If I start to get no listeners, then I might stop. So, it's up to you. You know, your vote counts. If I have just one listener, I will continue to speak. Just as I would if I was in a bar. (laughs) So anyway, live long, prosper, stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.